the series I'm going to begin today is uh, from the book of Romans, and I call it Paul's Letter to the 21st Century. I do that because I want you to understand that the book of Romans is relevant for today, not irrelevant, not a book that's old, but a book that has, of all books of the Bible, has a particular application to our day, and I hope that you will see that even uh, this morning. The specific message that we're going to look at this morning from the book of Romans is entitled, When God Chooses You. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to make our way through the first 16 verses of Romans, the first chapter. We're not going to deal with all of those verses, but we're going to deal with some specific ideas that Paul brings out in these verses that I hope will be helpful for you to understand that, in fact, God may be choosing you. That is, might be what he is doing in this very service today. So we begin to read in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles in behalf of his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this book of Romans was originally written to the church in Rome. It was written, of course, to other people who would read it and can be used, uh, as Paul talks about the gospel, to lead other people to faith in Christ. It actually unfolds the gospel to the church in Rome. But it's written first to people who were the called of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus Christ had spoken to them. And it means that they had heard him speaking to them. And it means that they had answered him. Now, Jesus speaks to all people. He calls all people. God speaks to all people. The Bible tells us that. But not everyone hears him, at least with recognition that they're hearing him. And certainly not everyone who hears him answers him. So this is not a book written to random people. It is written to true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is written to them about the world in which they lived. The world in which they lived was very much like our world. It was a broken world filled with broken people, and they also were broken. But in spite of their brokenness, Jesus Christ had spoken to them. He had called them. So first, it is written to people who were the called of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, he speaks to them as the beloved of God in Rome. Well, didn't God love everybody? Doesn't God love the world? Yes, God loves the world. But 
there are people upon whom God sets his love who when they have responded to them to him they become specially loved by God for instance let's take the nation of Israel the nation of Israel was specially loved by God we see that in the Old Testament God was loving all the people by loving them he had a special purpose for them but he set his love on them and he set his love on these people in Rome now they not only were people who were specially loved by God first called by the Lord Jesus Christ and beloved of God they were called to be saints that's number three what does it mean to be called to be saints well it means first of all to be set apart let's suppose that you were going somewhere to choose a puppy just a puppy which puppy would you choose well you might choose the cutest or you might choose the strongest or if you are a person with particular sympathies you might choose the runt of the litter and you might set that puppy apart and say I have set you apart for myself to be called to be saints first of all means to be set apart God sets you apart as also belonging to him you are set apart for God that's what Paul said of himself he said he was set apart for God for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for the gospel of God but it means more than being set apart it's set apart for his purpose and then third it means set apart to be holy to be holy that's what it means to be called to be saints because that word saints means holy ones we are called to be holy we're called to be different from the world in which we live to live different from the world in which we live now the people in Rome in first century Rome lived in a world that was filled with sin and immorality but Paul was telling them God has called you to be different you've been called to be saints now why is this book of Romans relevant to us today because we live in the 21st century with all of its sin and immorality nevertheless we also have been if we are true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ true Christians first we've been called by the Lord Jesus Christ and we've responded to that call he has set his love upon us and he has a purpose for our life we've been called to be saints set apart for God set apart to be holy to live different in the world in which we live James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on the book of Romans made a statement that I thought would be worth you seeing he said if it is ever the case that one who professes to have been called by God is not actually separated unto him he said I do not mean perfect but not headed in God's direction that person is not saved he or she is no Christian the person who has truly heard and answered God's call has a passion a passion to fulfill that calling and a passion to be what God has called them to be so we just looked at verses 6 and 7 of the seven verses that we read we just looked at these verses that are a picture of those to whom this book is written now what would it be like to be a part of a church like that where the people were 
called by Jesus Christ, where the people were specially loved by God and called to be saints and having a passion to fulfill that calling. Well, it might be a church of which you would want to be a part. So Paul said in Romans 1.8, look at what he said. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for, for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Did that mean that the Christian faith was being spread around the world? Yes, it meant that, but it meant more than that. He was talking about their faith. He was talking about their testimony. This church had a testimony. It had a testimony in Rome, but not only did they have a testimony in Rome, they had a testimony that was widely known across the Roman world. Now I want to ask you about your testimony. What is the testimony of your church? Well, I can think I can answer that question briefly. Over the last several months, we've been talking to people, just had random opportunities to talk to people. Specifically, I'm talking about people who were under 40 years old, inviting them to First Baptist Church. And inevitably they say, uh, I grew up in this community. Where is First Baptist Church? I've lived here all my life. Where is First Baptist Church? You know what that means? It means your church is invisible in this community. Now, why is that? Well, there are a couple of reasons why. Number one, it's located right beside the Methodist Church. And when people pass down Main Street, they think that it's one in the same church. It's just one big church, the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church. So your church is invisible. Not only so, but it's close enough to the courthouse that some think it might be part of the courthouse. Uh, there's no marking on Cox Street, by the way, when they ride down this road. They might think it's part of uh, the funeral home. They don't know really what it is. It's, it's invisible for that reason, for a number of reasons. It's in the middle of town. It's in a busy spot, but a lot of people do not know where First Baptist Church is. But in Rome, they didn't have a building. And it wasn't the building that was visible. It wasn't the building that had a testimony. It was the people that had a testimony. It was their passion and their faith that had the testimony. And so what's invisible in Loosedale among the, about the church in Loosedale, I'm invisible and you're invisible. Our faith and our passion is without a testimony in the community so that no one knows the reputation of our church. And we certainly want a reputation. Ray Stevens gave the First Baptist Church in Pascagoula a reputation many years ago when he sang about the squirrel that went to church in the First Baptist Church of the sleepy little town of Pascagoula. You've all heard that song, but you may not know about the day up in the area of Stonewall, Mississippi, where I'm from, in 1993 when Sister Phelps went to Sandy Haven Baptist Church with a shotgun. That ought to be a new song. And she said she declared that God had called her to shoot the preacher. Well, he had only baptized her a few weeks before, yet she came on mission, shotgun in hand. And when the smoke had cleared, Sister Phelps missed the preacher, but she left a nice-sized hole in the wall of the Sandy Haven Baptist Church. I'm sure he went back home and considered, reevaluated his calling to preach. That's not the kind of reputation you want your church to have, but you do want to have a testimony in the community. You want people to know where your church is, not where your building is, but you want them to know what's going on 
in your church. Paul said in verse 9, For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son is my witness of how unceasingly I make mention of you. You see, Paul was talking about the church in Rome to other people, but not just talking about the church in Rome to other people. Paul was talking about the church in Rome to God. Do you know why Paul was talking about the church in Rome to God? Because Paul wanted to go and be a part of that church. We pick up in verse 10. He says, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God that I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Imagine that. Can you imagine Paul coming to Loosedale and saying, look, of all the churches that I want to go to in Loosedale, I want to go to First Baptist Church because they have a testimony. I believe that they can, I can offer something to them, and I believe their faith will inspire me. Who would want to come to your church? Who would be inspired by the worship of your church? Who would be inspired by the passion of your church? In 1986, when I was a pastor at Agricola, I was introduced to my first book by Gordon MacDonald called Ordering Your Private World. And after that, I just started reading books by Gordon MacDonald. But one of those I read was Renewing Your Spiritual Passion. And he outlines five different kinds of people in our churches. And I want to outline those for you. The first are very resourceful people. And he said those are the ones that ignite our passion. They set our passion ablaze. If you were a football player, I guess that would be your coach, which goes up and down the sidelines clapping and saying, okay, come on, guys, let's go. Let's get after it. Very resourceful people, your spiritual mentors, your leaders. And then he said they're also very important people. Those, those are the people who share our passion. They boost us spiritually, adding to the desire that we already had. I guess that would be the player on the sideline that takes his towel and goes up and down the sideline cheering the other player on with a passion for his team to win. The church at Rome would have been very important people. So first, very resourceful people. Second, very important people that share our passion. And then very trainable people. Those are people who catch our passion they come alongside us and help us in kingdom causes. They may not be where God wants them to be spiritually, but they say, they look at you and say, I want what you have. I want to be a part of that. I want to join you in your mission. And then he goes on to list another group of people. He said, they're very nice people. They enjoy our passion. They come and fill our programs and our pews. They're wonderful people, good people, but they need to neither add to our passion uh, nor do they seriously diminish it. He said they're sort of like generic, generic cereal. They don't snap, crackle, or pop. They just sit in the bowl and sop up the milk. Well, unfortunately, from time to time, some of those very nice people have sopped up about all they can at your church, so they decide we'll go somewhere else and we'll sap up the passion of that church. We won't snap, crackle, or pop, but we'll just enjoy what they do until we can't enjoy it anymore. And then the fifth kind of people are very draining people. Those are the people whom you are around, and when you are around them, you are dragged down. They are negative in spirit. They trash the reputation of the church in the church and outside the church, and not only trash it, but trash the cause of Christ. Which, which one of those people are you? 
Which one of those people do you want to be? Man, those folks in the church at Rome must have all been either very resourceful people, very important people, are very trainable people because that Paul said, I want to be a part of your fellowship. I want to be a part of your church. But the church at Rome, like every other church, Paul said, you need to be strengthened. And that's why I want to come. I want to come and preach the gospel there in Rome because you need to be strengthened. Why do they need to be strengthened? Because of the world in which they live. Look at this world that we live in. Is the church strong enough to face this world in which we live? Are we strong enough to meet the demands to be a witness in this world in which we live? Are we strong enough to face the dangers of this world in which we live? Paul said you need to be strengthened. You need to be established. So how does, how does a church live in a, in a hostile culture? And what would a church do? What was there for the church to do? What should the church at Rome have been doing? And what was Paul's mission? What was he going to do if he had the opportunity to come to Rome? We look at verses 13 through 15. He said, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far that I may obtain some fruit among you also even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. What was the message that Paul wanted to bring to Rome? He wanted to bring the gospel. What message would Paul bring to Loosedale today? What message would he preach? He'd preach the gospel. He'd bring the gospel. If he went to Miami, what message would he preach? He'd preach the gospel. If he went to New York or San Francisco or modern-day Rome, what message would, God, would Paul bring? He would bring the gospel. Why did Paul want to carry the gospel to Rome? Who lived in Rome? Everybody. Everybody. It was filled with people from all over that part of the world. Wise people, unwise. Philosophers, people who didn't have any education at all. Cultured people. Your Bible might use that cultured or uncultured, Greeks and barbarians. But Paul said the message they all need is one message. They need the gospel. It was a melting pot of many cultures. It was a culture that worshipped mythical gods and goddesses. It was a culture that worshipped beauty and sexuality and philosophy and art and athletics. It's the 21st century all over again. In the first century, that's what it was. That's all it was, is today. And so the message of Romans is relevant for today because Paul was speaking to people that live in our culture today. So here's the last question. Is the message of the gospel relevant for the 21st century? Now, I'm sure somebody at some time or another came to Paul, put their hand on his shoulder and said, Paul, Maybe you ought to soften your message. Maybe you ought to lighten up. Maybe you ought to throw in some humor, pass out some coffee, cushion the message, and get more in step with the culture. Perhaps that's why Paul said in verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. 
but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, what is the gospel? And would, would you recognize it if you saw it? I'm not so sure we would. I'm not so sure we would. Nor am I sure that we'd be willing to share it if we had it with someone that we knew or that we are sharing it as we should. What about this gospel? Does it need to be powdered up or dressed up or dressed down in order to reach a particular culture? Paul said absolutely not. It fits every culture. It fits any culture because the needs of men are the same. What Paul will ultimately say about people, whether they live in Rome or whether they live in Jerusalem, whether they are Greeks or whether they are Jews, whether they are wise or whether they are foolish, is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Why preach the gospel? Because there's a supernatural power about it, Paul said. God works in it. As it's delivered, God does something. He speaks to people. Jesus Christ speaks to people when his message is proclaimed. He speaks to their heart. And they hear him. And some of them answer him. And they become not just loved by God from the cross, but loved by God for the special purpose that they have now become his children. And he has a plan for them and a mission for them to be set apart, called to be different, called to be saints. So what if in a service like this today, as you listen, you should hear God speaking to you? Then you should respond without delay. Let's pray.